Hey everybody and welcome to episode 27 of the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. With me in the studio in his customary seat is the president and founder of Landmark Home and Land Company, a company which has been helping people build their new homes where they want, exactly as they want, across the nation and worldwide since 1993, Steve Tuma. Steve, how's it going today? That's an excellent day. I'm listening at 1993, that's... 25 years <laughs> yeah. we, we've been helping people uh, build houses and and uh just all the evolution of codes designs financing just different trends it's 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 pretty interesting does that number make you feel old no nah, <laughs> quarter of a nah, century i'm only 26 so it's not a big deal <laughs> Um, I thought for this episode, we might talk a bit about energy efficiency and how that applies to new home building projects. You good with that? Yeah. Yeah. What, that, that's interesting because, you know, we talk about the time that Landmark's been around. In that 25 years, energy efficiency has gone berserk. Right. You know, a lot of, a lot of new things happening. You know, if you go look at an older home from 25, 30 years ago, it didn't have insulation. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's kind of... Uh, an interesting process. Well, let's start with um, a thing called uh, a little uh, important thing called energy calculations. And what role does that process play in the designing of a new panelized home? Well, this is really interesting because uh, a lot of people think, well, you just put R19 or R21 in the wall, R30 in the roof and, you know, get some good windows and insulate the basement or crawl space or slab and, and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that would have been something of 20 or 20 even 15, 20 years ago, in some cases, it's still the standard. But what an energy calculation does is do the theoretical calculation to sort out how your home will perform. So, for example, if if you're building in the south where it's warmer, more moderate climate, you're going to have different insulation needs than if you're building way up north, see, Mm -hmm. in the upper peninsula of Michigan or or something like that, or Mm -hmm. in Colorado in the high mountain areas where where it can get colder. So what the energy calculations do is sort out to make sure that your home as a unit meets a certain efficiency. And most states have standards. Whether or not they choose to enforce them is a different story. Mm-hmm. But so what, what you can do is go through and say, hey, we want to make the home energy efficient by certain calculation methods. What happens if I increase the insulation in my roof? What happens if I increase the insulation value of my windows. What if I put insulation in my basement or crawl space? How does it do that? So then you can go through and make sure that your home meets or exceeds the the current standards. Um, and there's a variety of different types. Different states have different types, but they're they're basically put together by calculating you know how the foundation's insulated, how a floor is insulated, how a wall is insulated how the roof system is insulated, how it's vented, you know, different different details like that. Right. What types of windows. The the more sophisticated ones will deal with different climate zones, orientation of the house to the sun, elevations, d- different details like that. So it's uh, it, it can get pretty uh, pretty intricate. Well, how, you know, how am I going to know if my new home is energy efficient? I mean, I, how are those calculations even put together? It's basically, you know, they go through and say, hey, let's put our 21 bat insulation in the wall, our 30 or 38 or 48 in the ceiling. So they, they run theoretical calculations based on the square footage of floors, square footage of walls, square footage of roofs, uh, types of ventilation in the roof. Is it a conditioned or unconditioned space? So like in an attic, you can have an unconditioned space where 
you've insulated the ceiling of the rooms below the attic, or you could have a conditioned space where you're actually insulating the whole attic area. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's different factors that are put in for the type of insulation it could, and where you're putting that insulation. And then also how the insulation is, is applied. So like a, a new trend, which is coming along and they're finding it to be very good are conditioned spaces. So like I mentioned with the, the crawl space or sorry, the attic, mm-hmm. If you just put insulation on the top, the ceiling of the room below the attic, that's an unconditioned space. There's just insulation there. The space in the attic is just open. You know, it's bound to go through through fluctuations. It's not insulated. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people are doing now, they found it to be more efficient, is that they insulate the whole attic, creating a conditioned space. So along the, the roof line, there's insulation. Along the the ceiling of the room below it, there's insulation. So there's space. What that does is it minimizes the, the fluctuations because you could have a day, say where it's 90 and sunny outside. You could have the inside of your house, air conditioned a 75 and your attic can be 130. Uh-huh. So that 130 degree temperature in your attic just seeps in your house, makes your air conditioning work a lot harder. Right. And vice versa with, with, with heating systems. Well, if you have a conditioned attic, you don't end up with a 120 or 130 degree attic that's that's heating your house. And what it, where also the benefits of it are, where do you run the duct work? Because if you have duct work, this is interesting. Most people don't think of this. But if you have your, say you had a ranch home, a one-story home with a furnace on the main level, It'd be typical to run ducks in your attic across the house and sure. then drop the ducks down. Mm-hmm. Well, think about what's happening. You're taking it from a 75-degree area, running the ducks through a 130-degree area where it's heating the air that you just cooled, and then you're dropping the cooler air back into it. So there's a big amount of heat loss because you're taking your ducks through a heated attic and then back down into the conditioned house. Mm-hmm. So the idea is by conditioning the attic space, you you end up taking, you don't have the fluctuation of going, say, 75 degrees to 130, maybe go 75 to 80 or 90 and then across and then drops back down so that you're, you're not getting, in a sense, robbed of the air that you just paid to cool. Right. So that, that same theory also works in, in uh, crawl spaces. Where if if ductwork goes underneath the house and across, so they've actually found that it, it's very efficient to keep those areas at a moderate temperature instead of the extremes that can happen. Mm. So yeah, so I, that that's an roundabout theory on, on it. But you you asked how how did they do the calculations? It literally gets into how you're going to insulate each wall, the floor, the roof, the windows. How tightly do these windows fit? How tightly do the doors close? A lot of the places they have blower door tests where they actually check for the heat transfer. Mm-hmm. And then it's also in the in the design of uh, your furnace, your hot water heater, different situations like that. Right. So it can get pretty complex. The key to it is, you know, to get an understanding of it, but we can help customers work for what makes sense for the energy efficiency codes but also what makes sense for comfort in the home and, and affordability towards your utility bill. Right. Well, I want to talk about something that um, 
seems like it would play into this very much. That's uh, that's the uh, actual wall thickness. Like, what is the benefit of a six inch exterior wall as opposed to a four inch wall? That's got a couple answers to it. The the main one is for structural purposes is a six inch wall is stronger than a four inch wall. Mm -hmm. In some cases, for a like earthquake or hurricanes, a house really won't pass the structural codes unless it's got a six-inch wall. Pretty much most people now are building with six-inch walls. You get in some area of moderate climates where it's just it's typical to go with a, a four-inch wall. Mm -hmm. um, it's just more customary. That doesn't mean that they can't take advantage of the better insulation, but ultimately the six-inch wall, which is really five and a half inches deep, mm -hmm. um, you can put more insulation in it. Right. Um, and, yeah. and different types of insulation will then um, minimize the, the heat or cool transfer from the inside to the outside of the home. Right. Well, while we're on that subject, can you uh, run us through the different types of insulation? And, and, and really, how does one even choose between all these uh, various types? Well, there's a lot of different types of insulation. I'll run through the main ones, which are bat insulation, blown-in insulation, and then rigid foam insulation. Mm-hmm. So bad insulation is what everyone's kind of seen. It's it's unrolled. It's fiberglass. It could be a bright pink color. It could be a yellow color, and that's that's an insulation. It comes in big rolls. You unroll it. You put you you put it into the house. It's affordable, and it'll give generally an R nineteen or an R twenty one value in a six inch wall. The five and a half inches of a six inch wall. So it's affordable. It does a decent job. Then there's the blown-in insulations, closed cell and open cell. Uh, open cell, you get about an R3, 3.3 in one inch. Closed cell, you get about six and a half, an mm -hmm. R6 and a half in an inch. So so for easy math, if you have a six-inch wall, you can get up to, say, an R30, R36 in that same wall. It costs a little more, but the insulation value goes from say about R19, R20 to R36, that's pretty huge. Um, and in, in climates where you've got big fluctuations or extremes in temperature, it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Now, those foams cost more, but I think the long-term benefit is is definitely there. Mm -hmm. They also help with air infiltration. Wind isn't as likely to blow through it. The other one that's very common is, is rigid insulation, kind of rigid foam. It's like a one-inch foam that... It comes in a four by eight sheet that gets attached to the exterior of the home. And generally they come in sheets of an R5 or an R10. And those can be used to take care of thermal bridging issues to, to cover over the, uh, the studs mm. and, and the wall. So that, because if you look at a, a wall, a two by six wall, 16 inches on center, you've, you've got insulation between the studs, but the actual stud itself doesn't have as much of an R factor. So depending upon the extreme situation you're designed is you, you may need to add some rigid foam. It's pretty rare, but occasionally people do it. So, so those are the main common types of insulation, the bat insulation, blown in insulation, or like a rigid foam insulation. Mm. It's, it's also, there's so much to know and it's, I'm, I'm really glad that landmarks around <laughs> to help out. That's uh there's so much to know and there's so many aspects of things. Well uh, that that's the thing about it is we can review these details, you know, the energy calculations with you so you understand what's going mm -hmm. on. Because some some customers know what they want and other customers want to do like a cost benefit thing. Mm -hmm. Go through and analyze it and say, hey, this is gonna cost me two thousand more, but what what's it gonna mean? Mm -hmm. 
You know, if, if insulation is going to cost you a little bit more for better insulation, you're going to live there for 10, 15 years, I would think you'd get your money back very quickly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I've been uh, I, I've been running into people who are who are really uh, talking about hot water systems and um, installing hot water systems in their in their uh, new homes, on uh, some of them in their old homes. Uh, is a hot water system considered a part of the energy efficiency? Is that does that play into it at all? Yes, it is. You know, that's that's a good question because most people think of energy efficiency of good windows and and good insulation, but energy efficiency is also the fuel usage. Mm. Generally, as far as energy calculations are done, um, gas or propane are more efficient than regular electric. But some areas they only have electric; other areas there are options. But in the extreme areas. Uh, the the gas natural gas or propane uh, uh, heaters are are generally preferred, mm-hmm. but as far as uh, the different options of how you heat the water, generally you can do it with solar. But if we're talking about something that's run by fuel, the water tank is certain good and certain bad. The bad about it is, say you have a fifty gallon tank, you're always warming fifty gallons, right? Yeah. Even if you don't use it, so if you run away for the weekend, you're heating fifty gallons. Mm-hmm. It's sitting there all day. Um, but I'll come back to that because there's there's a good side to that. Mm-hmm. The instant are kind of on demand, so you turn the faucet on, it heats the water. You turn the faucet off, it doesn't heat the water. Mm-hmm. For for areas like California and other places that are you know, making the the energy guidelines a little more stringent. It's almost a requirement to use instant hot water heaters. So that's that's the benefit. I, I would say the trend is towards instant hot water heaters that are generally run by um, a gas fuel, mm. and and they uh, they work pretty well. So yes, it is. It's consuming fuel to change the temperature. So right. it's, it's part of the uh, the energy efficiency. Hmm. Now, in the past, and, and I don't want to to, uh, to beat a dead horse here, so to speak, but we, we have been talking in the last couple of episodes about solar power, but I think it's important here. Um, uh, could you explain how solar affects my uh, energy uses? Yeah. Uh, usage, sorry. Yeah, there, there's a couple ways to do it, and one of them is we kind of just talked about the hot water, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, you know, there is a good to, to hot water tanks. And it's solar because there's photovoltaic in solar where it, it creates electric. And then there's solar systems that heat water for your in-house usage. Mm-hmm. So during the day, it's heating water and storing it in a tank, an insulated tank, so that you have the heated water at night. That's where a hot water heater tank can be good on a solar system. Um, but basically, the energy efficiency of solar, if you're working in an area where you have to plug into electric, you know, through your utility company, it's required. But the solar can be an an extra source of of power so that you don't have to go through and then rely on the utility companies. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very important on, on how that's all put together and to make sure it's designed properly, to make sure that the, the house has enough power to to make it happen in some cases depending on the you know your availability of direct sun it might not be able to power the whole house but you're doing your best to to cover it um a lot of places are pushing for solar to or the house to be able to create its own power so solar is becoming a very important component of that and that can affect 
um, your site plan, the orientation of the house on the land, and it can also affect the design of your home. Mm-hmm. So it sound like it sounds like what you're saying is that solar design is something I. I should really be factoring into my overall home design if I'm wishing for real efficiency. Oh, yes. Yeah. To to really do it right, the solar panels have to be oriented to to get the sun or, or be able to move to follow the sun. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we kind of review this on another podcast, but basically if you have a situation where the planes of your roof aren't oriented towards the best sun they're not going to be as efficient or provide as much electric as they possibly could mm-hmm. so what that might do is change the orientation of the house or change the roof design so that we can go through and and make sure we get the maximum exposure to the sun mm-hmm. now this doesn't mean that you're going to get an ugly house you know right. it doesn't mean that someone's going to come in and say hey you have to do this you're going to live in an ugly house so that your solar panels work there are ways to design a house so it's very attractive. You can take advantage of the solar and make sure that everything uh, works effectively and you still get the attractive home with the uh, the solar advantages. Mm-hmm. And it would also seem to me that, that uh, something else I think we've probably touched on very little in the past, but uh, not just uh, the type of windows you put in your house, but I guess the placement of those windows, that's something that you should take in, into consideration. I'm imagining when you're uh, when you're in the design uh, process, and uh, exactly, you know, I would uh, I would think that would be pretty smart too. It's it's the placement of the windows. Yeah, let's let's get into that for sure. a minute because it's the placement of the windows to allow sun to come in, but it's mm-hmm. also the placement of the window around overhangs to if you want to be protected from the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, like like a porch in an old style farmhouse. It would let the breeze through, but not necessarily the the direct light. Mm -hmm. And then there's also situations where the location of the window can let light pass through to a thermal mass, say like a cement floor, Mm -hmm. that could grab the heat during the day and then release it at night. So this is something where there there can be a lot of involved work to do it. But we can help with it. We can make it happen. We don't expect our customers to be solar geniuses. We can help with the design element for their particular lot, for their particular house. Mm-hmm. And this could be something if they choose to do it because they think it's a good thing to do, or if it's something that's mandated by their municipality or their building department, we can go through and get these design elements put together so that we end up with a house that is comfortable, affordable, and energy efficient. Uh, a lot of people always look at the cost of the house as what it costs to buy it. There's really a reality of what it costs to maintain and live in it. Mm-hmm. So if you can have it make it more comfortable and save on your utility bill, it's it's pretty interesting. Let, this just brings something up. I, I'm going to steal an, an extra couple minutes here. Is we've been doing a lot of design, um, the HVAC system design, the mm-hmm. manuals S, D, and J, that get into the heat loss calculations, the sizing of the furnace, and then the duct layout. A lot of old-time contractors are saying, I, I need to put an 80,000 or 100,000 BTU furnace in this house. Why are you telling me it's only 60? And the problem is they're old-time contractors. They're, they do a good job, but they remember the codes of 20 years ago when insulation wasn't as good mm-hmm. and it wasn't mandated. So back then when you had very little or limited insulation in a house, you needed a bigger furnace to heat the house because the house was losing heat. Now with the better insulation, you can use a smaller furnace. 
which That's therefore ends up using less fuel. Right. It's it's all kind of tied into it. So this energy efficiency uh, situation is you can get pretty deep. It's not just insulation like people talk about. It's your hot water, it's your heating, it's your cooling. It's also your comfort and your enjoyment of the home. There's such a vast amount of knowledge on on all these subjects that you have. Whenever I talk to you, I'm always kind of uh, blown away by (laughs) how much you actually know. You've probably forgotten more than I'll ever know about home building. uh, But it's the deep down sort of core of all this is when you talk – you talk with a passion, and I know that's that you pass that on to the customers and the information you and the help that you try to give each and every uh, potential customer at Landmark. And I, I'm imagining that customer service is is pretty important for you guys. It's what it's all about. the The reality is, there's a lot of people can that can draw plans up that can you know help you build your house, but we we happen to really really enjoy it. And I mm-hmm. I think when someone enjoys their job, they do it better. They in, it's a better product. Mm-hmm. It sounds weird, but enjoying your job, working with a customer that's in tune of what they want to build, the house will be better just because you're thinking it through. You're working it out. You're making it happen. And yeah, we're we're constantly working, helping customers. If they call in the morning, at night, on weekends, we do whatever we can to help them out and, mm-hmm. and keep it going. And we're also proactive in making it happen for them. Fantastic. Well, we're about out of time here on the panelized prefab kit home building show. But before we go, I want to give Steve a chance to let people know just how to uh, get in touch with everybody over there at Landmark Home and Land Company. Uh, the easiest way customers can look at it right now or just look at the webpage, see what they can learn is at our webpage at LHLC.com. That's kind of the initials of Landmark Home Land Company, LHLC.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got floor plans on there, videos, these podcasts, different details to give people an idea of how we help. You can also call 800-830-9788 and Mike will answer the phone and he, he can work with you on the preliminary phases. That's a key to it. We answer our phone. If for some reason you get a voicemail, we will call you back right away and get you taken care of. Communication is very important to us. Um, you can also check uh, social marketing out, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and uh, you can email us. You can email me at landmark at lhlc.com, and we constantly watch our emails to take care of customers and make sure everything flows smoothly. Awesome. And uh, I just want to say that uh, I would encourage our listeners to, if you've only heard a few of these podcasts, go back and uh, they're archived and you can find them and and listen to uh, listen to all of the podcasts um, at your leisure. And there's so much information on there. I think it'd be a worthwhile thing to do. So anyway, for Steve Tooman and myself, I want to thank everybody for listening and we will see you next time. Well, thank you.